Hello, you're listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. You were out a, a week. I, I stole Ira and, and brought him on. <laughs> That's what I gather. <laughs> nice six-hour-long podcast. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. Yes, we did our, our, our best of uh, choices by the community for 2022 anime, and it was a lot of fun. So, yes, I managed to get, get Chris and pull him in here once again to do our first impressions, because we're... We're we're a couple of weeks late on on doing our first impressions for the winter for the winter season, so it's about time we start talking about our thoughts on it. Yep. But I, yes. didn't, I didn't get that many shows. Just just giving you all a heads up. <laughs> I should have rearranged everything just for you. That would have been helpful, but it's fine. It's fine. I I know you got the important stuff. You had to have gotten the important stuff. Probably not. But yeah, it's pretty usual. We're at talkiespear.com. That's where you can go for all of our anime uh, links there for our social media, Discord, and all that good stuff. So you can join our community with, with some great people there. We're doing a watch-along here soon for Noragami. So that's going to be fun. I think I'm going to read Noragami manga alongside it. There'll be a lot of cool insights from the source material. Not much go. was changed with the adaptation, so it's not that big of a deal. But There were some things that you were slightly agitated about. That's there was sure. one key thing that I was agitated about. Yes, that's the the Shiki and how they claim dominance over each other, which I think will be a problem if they decide to do a third season, unless they just kind of go, eh, we didn't say that. <laughs> we never said that. It's this way. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. If if it ever gets a third season, I don't care if they change it, as long as we get another season, because there's some great stuff coming up, so... But yeah, with that said, we have a crap ton to go through and limited time, so let's let's dive into our thoughts on the winter 2023 anime season. Starting things off with the banger, the big one. Let's just kick it off with the biggest show, <laughs> Onimai, I'm Now Your Sister, or Onichan wa Oshimai. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by Studio Bind. Yes, the studio that was created to do Mushoku Tensei Jawas Reincarnation. Uh, the source is a manga, genres are comedy and slice of life. But yeah, this one opens up with Mahiro, who is a neat. He just stuck in his house all day. He calls himself like a, a house security system because he's always there. there and so go. if somebody breaks in, at least he can call the police, I guess. I don't know that he'll do anything. But uh, at some point, he wakes up one morning and he feels different. And then he looks into his iPad and realizes he's been turned into a girl. A little middle school aged looking girl. And his sister comes in while he's going to check down there, obviously, because you check down there because something's missing. And his sister walks in and goes, oh, it worked. Yay. Everything worked perfectly. I wasn't really expecting you to be so young looking. But yes, it worked. Yes, his 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 sister is like this child genius. And she apparently made some drug and put it in his drink. So it turned him into a little girl. And so <laughs> kind of starts the shenanigans of Mahiro now being a girl and dealing with girl things. And all the while, it seems like it hints towards the idea that Mihari, his sister, is kind of done all this so that she can try to fix him a little bit because he's kind of a shut in and isn't really going anywhere with his life and uh, doesn't take care of himself and all that kind of stuff. So And so naturally changing him into a girl will fix that. Yes, because there's more expectations for girls. <laughs> So your your thoughts on Onima? You're already talking about the controversies behind this show. Gosh, I didn't actually watch it yet. Uh, ouch! I ouch. told you. There's of all I, the I'm shows. sure. I'm sure I missed <laughs> something important. Ouch. ouch! This is this is one that I do plan on getting to at some point. But no, I did. That's I that's the only reason it shocks me is because this is like the big one. Uh, at least for me, is like the big one, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with. Obviously, the the initial draw was that Studio Bind was working on it, and we obviously had 
the massive hype that built around Mushoku Tensei JavaScript Incarnation. So anything that Bind touches, obviously, we're going to keep our eye out for. And I, I think the fear that came in coming into the show was that it was going to be Studio Bind's B team. This wasn't the same director that's working on Mushoku and stuff there. The main Bind team is still working on Mushoku Tensei. They're, they're working on that project at the same time. So again, like, there was a little bit of fear there. But no, it's like this show is just so, so beautifully animated. And it's, it's one of those things where it, it's not... You know, Mushuko, where it's like trying to hyper detail and backdrops and visual style and everything. This is just going for cartoonish, very character type characters. Not that they're like chibi or anything like that, but just making the characters look lively. And yes, a little bit over the top and expressive, but it's that type of animation where it's, again, not not what you would typically see in like a One Punch Man or something like that or a high action show. It's just where it's strictly purely how they make the characters come to life and really nail those comedy beats that I think is doing especially well. But no, I, I absolutely love this show. And I and I think the reason why it hits so hard is, for one, typically with the gender bin type of shows, they don't... I can't even remember the last time we had a really solid gender bin show. They typically would try it and it never works out. Like, it's the comedy never works, the, the character writing never works. It's always just kind of just playing into, oh, ha, ha. They've been switched. It's it's never like doing anything really good. And I think the reason why this one works so well is that the comedy's on point. It doesn't really hold anything back. I mean, we get into the time of the month. We get into all these things that women have to deal with on a daily basis that men don't have to deal with. And yes, his reaction to it. But additionally, there's a lot of comedy in the idea that every now and then uh, Mahiro realizes oh, crap, I'm getting into this. Like, no, like, he'll just, like, getting in front of a, a mirror in his room, and he starts putting on a dress, and he'll just kind of pose and see how cute he looks, and he gets all into it, and then his sister will look into the door and go, oh, you're so you're getting into it kind of thing. He catches himself on a regular basis really going, crap, I'm really getting into this, and I really shouldn't be getting into this, because it, it's sort of hinting at, at the idea that not only has he changed physically into a girl, but he's mentally, either mentally accepting the stuff he finds them appealing or his mind is changing into that of a girl. Like his taste is changing. The the early joke they get into, which I think is great because it kind of pushes away a lot of the, yes, the assumption of the, oh, well, would he try doing this to himself? The way they kind of get around that is having the sister come in and say, well, just to let you know, because it looks like you're about to watch a a Eroge, because he's really into Eroge visual novels and stuff. Just to let you know, women... It's it's like much more multiplied, the sensation itself. And so you might not want to do that because it could blow your mind. And so he's like, he's terrified of doing it now. So he's trying to do things to get his mind off of it. And so he goes to re- re- uh, watch a, uh, a a BL, a visual novel. And then he starts crying because he's like, I'm starting to get, <laughs> I'm starting to get turned on by this and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It plays into all that stuff and it does it really well. And it doesn't go too much to where it feels uncomfortable. Um, the show is like, it's playing into fetishes and it's playing into the oddities of that, but it's never enough that it feels wrong. I wouldn't care, but I don't feel like it's going to the realms where it's too much. And I think a lot of people respect that. But underneath all that, like the comedy's gold. I enjoy it. I love the interactions. I love the chemistry and everything. Underneath it's what I'm kind of, which kind of blew me away. The aspect that really I wasn't expecting, which is there is a story here between these two characters. That long time ago, Mihari really liked her brother, and he would praise her whenever she did well. That's why she became a child genius, because she always wanted him to acknowledge her. 
And at some point, they got separated. Like, they 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 no longer really hung out with each other. They never interacted much. And so there's an element that it's almost like Mihari is doing this just to get closer to her brother. Which, yes, she would know about, about girls. And so she would be able to help him. And he would need her help. At the same time, it almost feels like she's afraid for his future and trying to get him to be more social and be more physically active. Because, I mean, the way he was stuck in his room, he'd probably die in a couple more years because he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything physical. And now, in order to be a girl, there's a little more expectations and things that he needs to do to take care of himself that, again, she can kind of help him with. So, And there is a side of him that almost, pu- almost pushes the idea that he feels like he is a deadbeat and that he's not offering anything to the world. And so he's kind of okay with it. Like, well, okay, I became a girl as long as I can help my sister out. Like, it turns into this thing where I'm not useful anyway. Other way, I might as well be useful to her. And so he's kind of okay with it. Because I know that, like, an early on, <laughs> and continuously, there's a lot of people that don't like the show because they're like, I can't believe she would do this to him. Like, for, for once in any story we have, suddenly people are, like, taking it very seriously that, yes, technically she drugged him. But again, I think it's acceptable in my eyes because it reversely, he's acceptant of it. So it's, Yes, the initial cause is not really welcome, but he's kind of okay with it now, which does kind of suck because I am reading the manga alongside the episodes, not reading ahead, and they did skip, like, one really cool, uh, it's an onsen episode, they did skip an onsen episode, and in that episode, it sort of, I guess, eases the minds of people in that regard, and I'm kind of, it's it's kind of unfortunate they've skipped it. They did mention they were going to go to the onsen in the show, so hopefully, eventually, they'll adapt it, but it, it... I hope that they get that to the show eventually, or maybe they'll just end with it. Because I think that would be a nice little punchline to the end of the season. But we'll have to wait and see. There's been a couple other ones that they've skipped, like the the MMO episode, the MMO chapter, which I think is hilarious too, and the Amnesia chapter, which I think would be great too. So we'll see. Like now, it's literally my number one show of the season right now. I'm loving it. I love the animation. I love the voice acting. I love the the cutesiness of it. I love the comedy. I love the heartwarming moments. The the bonding between the siblings. Everything just is working full cylinders, and I just cannot wait for more of it. So, and it's it's kind of interesting because it's I plan on making a video soon, but I might wait until we find out what Studio Bind's third adaptation is going to be because I almost feel like there's a little bit of a parallel here in the idea that both Mushoku Tensei and Onimai sort of deals with a an element of the uncomfortable truths of life. And not and them not being afraid of actually doing that as an adaptation is kind of interesting. So, yep, really great. Highly recommend it. Check it out. Um, I, I think of everything this season, Chris, when you get time, that is a 100, one, 100? number one priority, <laughs> a 100 priority, it is a 100 one times is, priority. It is one of the ones that's probably next on my list of grab, getting watching too. There is also something to be said about the fact that like, Every character they introduced so far is fantastic. Kaede is like big sister through and through. I love the whole movie scene where she goes in there and finds him pretty much wet himself and just kind of covers it up for her and keeps it a secret and everything. It's just super pure. I love her to death. She is just absolute big sister Garu. The Tale of Outcasts is our next one. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll for 13 episodes, I believe. Um, Asahi Productions, I believe, is working on it. Uh, the source is a manga, drama, fantasy, romance. And this one follows Wisteria, and she is an orphan. And at some point, she's pretty much... 
begging for money on the side of the road and this guy that runs the orphanage is nearby her giving her like terrible looks like if she doesn't get enough if she doesn't look pathetic enough and get pity that people give her enough money if she doesn't get enough money he like beats her at the end of the night when she they return back to the orphanage and um the only thing that's really keeping her going is that one time when she was on the side of the road this demon walked by this marbus and she noticed him and he's like pitying her and then realized that she notices him as well and so he's like wait you could see me because typically nobody can see him when he's in his demonic form and she kind of act like she can't see him but every night from then on she would knock on the window at, in her room and call out to Mar- marbus and he would come in and visit her and he would tell her stories about his adventures and so this is a fun little conversation between the two of them even though marbus seems like he's a demon that looks down upon people he likes he likes the conversation with her at the same time, she loves to hear about these grand stories and these adventures because she can't leave the orphanage. She can't go out on adventures. She can't experience things in her life. Well, at some point, the orphanage owner basically tells her, hey, we found you a family. Uh, not not necessarily that. We found you a buyer. <laughs> yes, apparently this orphanage acts like an orphanage, but any t- all the time that she's standing on the side of the road, he's actually talking to prospect, uh, prospected uh, buyers to sell her. And since she's kind of got a little bit of beauty to her, silver hair and everything like that, she was somebody they've been trying to find a, a high buyer for. And so, yes, um, she tries to plead to Marbus that night, you know, please take me away from here. Don't let me get sold. Realizing that her brother a long time ago was sold off too and not adopted. She begs him, please take me away from here. And he's like, I can't do that. I can't do favors to humans because I'm a demon. It's a, it's a rule that if a, if a demon does a favor to a human that without some sort of payment, they will crumble and fall apart. And so he can't. So he's like, well, let's take my soul. You guys do that, right? You guys take souls. You could, if you take my soul, then you can take me with you. And he goes, can't do that either. Because when, when demons take souls, it's so that when the person passes away, they can take their soul and add it to their lifespan. And Marbus is already an immortal. So he's like, I can't do that either. Sorry. <laughs> I can't do anything for you. And so she's like, okay, well, that pretty much dooms her to her fate. So cut forward. She's now at this guy's place. And yes, turns out this guy is a total sicko he likes to torture cute things and so he's gonna torture her and marva shows up and protects her and then he starts crumbling and then in the wake of nearly crumbling away and this other demon showing up listaria says okay well if you can't take my soul take my eyes the eyes that give me the ability to see demons take them from me and so the pack gets created and then he's able to not fall apart and then he saves her and then that kind of continues that from that point on it's their journeys together traveling the world and there's kind of a codependency in here in the idea that Marbus has always been traveling alone. He started to hate life because he's immortal. He has no joy. But now he looks forward to his journeys because now he has a partner with him. At the same time, Wisteria can't see anything, so she relies on him to tell her what they experience. Tell her what, the, what, what he's seeing and everything. So, so she can see him or no? She was able to see him. Now she can't see anything because she gave a prize in order to make a pack. So how do they travel together if she can't see him? He carries her, uh, walks alongside her. That was what the the box art looked like. Oh, yeah, she got a little cane. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the gist. And, yeah, kind of dumb story plot twist. Yeah, her brother went to the church, and now he hunts demons. And so he wants to hunt down Marvis. And then you kind of have them running into other people that... It's kind of uh, them interacting with other people that have made packs with demons, which kind of goes to the name of the title, The Tale of Outcasts. If you are a demon or if you are a person that made a pack with a demon, you're pretty much an outcast because 
these demon hunters, they can sense that you've made a pact because you have a demon aura about you or energy about you, so they'll kill you as well. So it's just different people they run into that all have packs to demons. They have one that's uh, Diana, who is part of a family that made a pact with the demons a long time ago, and their bloodline gets born with people able to see demons, so they would protect the royal family from demonic assassinations by standing beside the king when people come and visit and tell them this person has a demon with them kind of thing. So that's kind of the setup. Um, so my thoughts on the show. Um, I, I mentioned my video first impressions. This is like one of those shows where when you look at the ratings on Mal, you're like, this show's got to be garbage. <laughs> this has got some bad ratings. It's not bad. Like, I, I actually really enjoy it. This is kind of one of my favorite shows of the season so far and that it just kind of impressed me in that regard. And no, I didn't watch it after knowing that it had bad ratings. It was just... I watched it and then checked the ratings and I'm like, wow, this 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 is way bad than it should be because I actually enjoy the show. And I think a lot of my enjoyment comes around the chemistry. I love Wisteria and Marbus and their chemistry together. I love Diana and I can't say I hate saying his name. Debarius. Um I love their chemistry. Debarius Nebarius and um Marbus, these two demons that are basically one of the thirteen each are one of the thirteen greatest demons. Um their chemistry together. It's a lot of fun. I, I really love the interactions of the characters, and it just has a nice feel to it. Now, I will admit that there is some writing that's pretty rough, like the whole thing behind her brother and him hunting down Marbus and all that kind of stuff. It felt very convenient, but at the same time, not very, not very interesting in that regard. The overall plot line doesn't seem like it's really going to have something really grandiose. It's just, you know, demons shouldn't exist in this world, and there's people hunting him down. But I like the inner the individual stories I think are solid. Like Harriet and Molly, which is like Harriet is like this street rat and she's packed with a demon, so she steals stuff. I thought that was a really solid story and had a cool little twist at the end of it. And like I said earlier, Diana and uh Nibarius is an interesting chemistry as well, and I enjoyed that story as well. Again, the whole thing with the royal family. So it's like I get that people can see that the overall writing isn't doing anything incredible. But at the same time, I think the individual stories and, again, the chemistry between the characters, especially with Staria and Marbus, is really solid. I like their interactions. To give an example, um, they have this one moment where Wisteria gets sick and Diana takes him in. And as Wisteria is recovering, Diana tells her story about her family and the royal family. And <laughs> at some point, uh, Wisteria goes to say, oh, that group. My brother works for them. She, he's a demon hunter. And knowing, Marbus, knowing that she's going to mention that her brother is a demon hunter, he goes and cups her mouth. <laughs> and so all of her snot gets all over his hand. And this Nabarius guy comes over and starts to laugh at Marbus. And so he just takes his hand and just wipes it on Nabarius's clothes. It's just, again, like those little cute little moments between the characters that just really cements them as great characters. And they're bickering the entire time. So Diana eventually at some point while she's talking about this whole thing, they're bickering. And then she just goes, can you guys shut up so I can finish the story? <laughs> it's just really good. A nice little kind of comedy beat to put in there along with this kind of information dump basically about her family. Um, it's just it's got solid writing like that. And like I said, it's not doing anything incredible, but I think overall it's it's a really solid series. It's not incredibly well animated, but I think they do well enough when it needs it to be, to be there. So it, it's kind of one of those ones where it's it sucks that it's in a season that's so heavy. Like we have so many shows this season and it's going to probably be something we'll say several times in this first impressions. In a wake of 70 plus shows. This is one of those ones that I think is just going to get lost in the season, unfortunately, um, even though I think it's a it's a solid show. So if you have time for it, I suggest it. Give it a shot. 
but again, don't expect like crazy mind-bending storylines here. So that's the tale of Outcast. Check that one out. Malevolent Spirits Monogatari. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by Studio Bandai Namco Pictures, sources of manga, and genres are action supernatural. Uh, this one opens up with Hyoma. And Hyoma is really hates Sugumagami. And if if you don't know what Sugumagami is, basically spirits that possess items. So if you have a, a, a apt apt for the starting of the story, if you have an umbrella, <laughs> a spirit can possess it over time and manifest. And so Hyoma is part of this group, the Seinome, who go out and seal away those Sugumagamis because some of them can be very dangerous. And he really hates them because in his past, his two siblings were killed by paper umbrella Sukumagami. And it pretty much scarred him from life. He can't trust Sukumagami. And so, yeah, he he's really vicious to them. At some point, his Shisho, uh, Zohei, he, so, he goes, man, this is a problem. I got to get him to chill out. So he calls up a friend, <laughs> Heori, and tells him, hey, can you... Can you take Hyoma in for a little bit and kind of, you know, show him that Sukumagami aren't terrible? And she's like, yeah, sure, that's that's great. But I have a, a counter reasoning, which I'll get into in a minute. Uh, he's, he agrees to it. And so Hyoma has to go live with them. Which, yes, the house that he's going to go live in is headed by Botan Nagatsuki. And she is a human, but she has been raised from childhood with six Sukumagami. And these Sukumagami are essentially... You find out later they were all actually items that were gifts, uh, marriage gifts. So in the tradition, you would marry somebody out and you would give all these gifts to the other family. And so each one of them is Sukumagami that is of a different gift. And the reason why they want him to live with Botan is because she's lived her entire life with Sukumagami and she trusts them. Their group, the group of the Nakatsuki, their group essentially will go out and seal bad Sukumagami, but they also do like... Um, uh, interviews with Sukumagami that want to remain in the human realm. And so they'll they'll test them and ask them questions to see if they're safe enough to stay in the world, and they'll basically sign them in to being able to stay in the human realm. So that's not really cool for Hyoma because he doesn't trust any of them, and he wants to know why they all why she trusts them, and he would love to just to seal them all on the spot. But in order to remain a Sayonome, uh, he has to stay there for an entire year and not screw up. So that's his forced to deal with it kind of situation but yes we eventually find out that the counter offer for from this lady was that he be a prospected marriage person for botan <laughs> so that that adds a little bit of a, a romance to the mix as well because um, they want somebody to take care of botan so that's kind of the gist and the, the first episode is basically him trying to get each one of these Tsukumagami to sign off on him remaining there because he screws up initially by making Botan's cry. And then eventually they introduce the aspect that he's a marriage possibility. And there's this ongoing hinting that Botan is like, like the Tsukumagami want her dead for some reason. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist so far. I'm, I'm going to assume you didn't get a chance to watch this one. No. And, is this one that you, you were actually of... interested in? No, you actually turned me off of it real quick. What was it that I turned you off on it for? <laughs> you, you, you were saying that none of the decisions were making sense. Yes, the uh, <laughs> that was like the only thing I didn't like about this show, to be honest. All right, people. <laughs> so, like I said earlier, the Nakatsuki they will also they they will go out and interview Sukumagami that want to stay in the human realm, 
And so they do, they end up meeting with this one lady and she's like a herb grinding wheel kind of thing. And she has these memories of her owner uh, grinding away with herbs or whatever. And the moment that they, they, they ask her questions and then this other girl comes in, she's a mirror Sugumagami. So she uses this mirror to see her past and goes, yep, everything checks out. She's telling the truth. And then the moment they say, okay, let's go down to Nagatsuki's facility and we'll get you signed up. She hears Nagatsuki and immediately cuts this dude in half, like literally kills him. But thankfully, since he's a Sigmagami that's a ter- certain type of ink or something like that, he just reforms. But it's like, okay, how does that pass? Like, they still pass her. <laughs> and I'm like, that's dangerous. The next time she hears Nagatsuki, she's going to kill a human. Like, that's the last person I would leave in a human realm. So, yeah, that was a little bit, that was a little bit of like a, no, she just sealed her way. <laughs> but whatever. But no, overall, I, I've I've actually been enjoying this show. It, it, it does kind of have that whole... Each of the character has their own little kind of quirk. That's each of these Sukumagami that's with Botan. Botan's decently cute herself. You obviously see that she sort of has interest in Hyoma, but at the same time, Hyoma is very serious and doesn't really think romantically. So he says a lot of stupid things that get misinterpreted. I think that's probably the only flaw in their relationship so far is that Hyoma is very muscle-headed. Like, all he cares about is, is taking down Sukumagami. So anytime there's a relationship mentioned, he just doesn't really think of how his words will affect another person. And I, I think so far, a lot of the action scenes are pretty decent as well. Hyoma employs these two discs that essentially erase Sugumagami. So I'll be curious how they'll eventually get to a point where they they show how he's at all going to not be able to take on a Sugumagami because literally he can erase them by swiping his hand. Um, each of the Sugumagami that's with Botan that he's with have their own unique abilities. You throws the needles at things and it binds them up. Um, Nagi uh, produces blades again Kagami is able to create mirrors that kind of uh, disorient his her opponents so each of them have like unique abilities that they kind of employ in battle and so far all the, the fights themselves have been pretty creative but nothing like incredible so I, I enjoy it like this is one of those shows where it's similar to Tale of Outcast where I don't think it's doing enough yet that it really makes it stand out but I, I mean Amongst a lot of other shows this season, I think it's very so much in the higher tier of of quality for something to check out. I don't know that it's going to do anything overall that's going to be really impactful, but I'll be interested to see. They've they've already kind of pre-established this deeper plot line, which is Hyoma wanting to take down this paper umbrella that killed his siblings. But nothing really besides that, besides, like I said, Botan and the possibility of her being connected to some deeper plot line and the Tsukumagami wanting to get rid of her for that reason. But um, we'll we'll see. But so far, I've been enjoying it. Like I said, besides that, <laughs> besides that herb grinding wheel thing and not making any sense, I think overall, I've, I've really been enjoying the show so far. And I think it has a lot of potential to to be a solid series. So that's um, Malevolent Spirits. Malevolent Spirits. All right. Here's here's the second one. Chris, yes or no? Nope. Oh, is, here's, here's Andrew's second biggest show of the season. Uh, the Magical Revolution of Reincarnated Princess and the Genius Young Lady, the longest title, I think, in the season. I think? Yeah, I think so. Might, there might be... No, the 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 Misfit might be uh, equally as long. But no, this one's streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, being done by sti- uh, Studio Diomedia. The source is a light novel. Genres are fantasy and romance. Uh, this one... Um, so it kind of opens up with this kingdom... And in this kingdom, there is a princess and a prince uh, pretty much due for the throne. And the princess, Anisphia, apparently at some point when she was young, she 
had a vision of her previous life, and that previous life was in our modern times Japan. Now, it doesn't imply that she has full knowledge of her previous life, but it does indicate that she's technically reborn in this fantasy world. Um, but what she got from that vision that she got that she seen was a plane, and that inspired her. She so badly wanted to fly once she seen that vision of a plane. So she started working on this technology called magicology, which is essentially where she's trying to use magicite from monsters to create magical items that she can use to produce magic. She was born without magic, and everybody in a lot of people in this world will be born with the ability to seek the spirits and do magic. And the royal family has been told that in the past, they were the first to ever speak to the spirits. So the idea of a princess not knowing magic is kind of, doesn't make any sense, kind of makes her feel like she's sort of an outcast from the world itself. But again, she doesn't let it keep her down. She desperately wants to be able to use magic. <laughs> you see that in the past, you also seen this girl, Euphelia, use magic, and she thought it was gorgeous. And so she always wanted to use magic. So she starts to work on this magicology. Eventually, she even takes the magic magicite and has it grinded down to make medicine that she can consume that gives her magical ability, which is kind of crazy as well. It really just kind of increases her speed and stuff, not necessarily that it gives her magic to use. Like I said, it's typically the items that she creates produce magic. But eventually, um, <laughs> she she gave up her rights to the throne, so told her dad, hey, dad, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want the throne. And I, I, I kind of don't like the idea of ever being paired up with a guy and, and I don't want to get pregnant kind of thing. So she, if anything, I'd like to get with a uh, get married to a woman. Uh, she gives up the throne. That kind of forced it upon her brother, uh, Prince Algar. Jump forward eventually. Algar basically goes in front of this entire group of people during their graduation and says, Euphelia, who I'm set to wed, she tried to kill this girl, Cyan. She's terrible. I don't want to have anything to do with her. And Nisphi at the same time, rushes in, grabs Euphelia, and runs off with her. <laughs> Takes her back to her father and says, Father, uh, my brother doesn't want Euphelia, so I want her now, <laughs> basically. In, in short terms, that's basically what she says. Um, but yeah, essentially, um, something's going on with Algar, the prince. For some reason, he is it's sort of indicating that he was told that Euphelia did all these terrible things, but Euphelia didn't really do all these terrible things. But he's working behind the scenes somehow because he doesn't like the system and how it is. And unfortunately, Euphelia, who was set to wed her, is kind of the casualty to that whole thing. At the same time, Eunisphia, again, having met Euphelia a long time ago and, and loves her magic and how she does magic, pretty much takes her and says, I will, I'll have her if you don't want her, basically. And Euphelia at the same time is broken because she spent her whole life trying to become the perfect queen. And then suddenly this one day at this ball, she's told that she's a terrible person, that she's been scheming behind the background and even ordered an assassination attempt. And now she has no purpose in life anymore. It goes to the point where she's literally asking somebody, give me an order for what I do next. I don't know what to do next. She's a yes person, basically. And so this whole thing breaks her. Anisvia has the the idea that she's working on this magicology stuff, magicology stuff. But she doesn't want to be the spokesperson for it. She doesn't want to sell it herself. She doesn't want to be the person revealing it. Instead, she chooses to have Euphelia, who is known for being incredible with magic and who now has a tarnished reputation, to be the spokesperson for it. I'll make this magicology stuff. You'll be the one that brings it to the public and you'll get the popularity from it and you'll restore her name because now, you know, again, she's basically, uh, her entire social life is destroyed. And so that kind of starts their relationship together 
again, in this field, working on magicology, Euphelia trying to get new purpose in life. At the same time, Algard is trying to basically break <laughs> break the, the, the things that he's been forced to take over, which is the, the kingdom and everything like that, and forced marriage and everything. So that's basically the setup for everything. Um, my thoughts on this show, I absolutely adore this show. This is that one that's kind of fighting for first place with Oni. Oni they do different things, obviously. Oni Mai is very much so cutesy, fun, comedy. This one's got a little bit of comedy in there, but it's very much so drama and the relationship between these characters and the fantasy element added to it. Uh, first and foremost, if you are a anti-Isekai person, don't worry. <laughs> like, literally, it's just that image she's seen. It gave her inspiration. They might bring up something with it later on. They sort of indicated something late in the last episode about the idea of her, quote-unquote, being a traveler. But for the most part, it's not really dictating her. Again, it, it, all indication is that she doesn't know that she's an Isekai. Just she's seen an image. The core thing that I love so much about the show is characters. Like, the character writing is so freaking good. <laughs> this is... I said it early on, and I'll keep saying it. If you loved Liquidity Quail for the chemistry, this show is for you. Because Anisphia is basically Chisato, and Euphelia is sort of Takina. And, and I, I stress sort of Takina in the idea that I think both of them are kind of broken without their purpose, and they have to find a new purpose. Euphelia is way different than talking on the idea that she is so dead set on this is what I was supposed to do. I no longer have that. I'm purposeless. And she doesn't know what to do. And she can't and she's so jealous of Anisivia because she looks like she's has so much freedom. Whereas Euphelia, she lost her mold. She lost the thing that she was supposed to be a part of and now she needs to find something else to mold into. Give me purpose. Order me to do something because I don't know what to do next. And she's finding purpose through Anisvia. She's finding, even though she has freedom, she claims that Nisphia has freedom, she has freedom, but she doesn't know what to do with it. And so she's finding that purpose through Nisphia and her positive nature and seeking to do things. And yes, her passion for wine magic. Nisphia is so willing to harm herself. She even talks about the idea of like injecting a magicite into her body just to see if it'll give her magic. That's how dedicated she is to wanting to use magic. And that scares somebody like Euphelia, but... It makes sense in the passion that Anisvia has. And like I said, the, how they're playing out these characters so far is great. I love the king. I love Euphelia's father. <laughs> I love the maid, Ilya. I lo- we didn't have her for very long, but Tilty's great. And I'm sure I'm going to find out that the prince isn't bad. <laughs> I'm sure he's being used in some way. It seems like there's a power struggle. Like the whole idea of uh, wanting to shake up the royalty and how it functions. And it, I feel like Algard's trying to do that. And he's probably being used by people. So we'll see. But so far, visually fantastic. We had a amazingly animated episode in, I think it was episode five. They fought a dragon. It wasn't CGI. <laughs> it looked incredible. Um, the whole episode looked amazing. I hope they keep up the quality they're doing with the show so far. Uh, I've already been told that this is going to be an actual Yuri. This isn't. Yuri bait is supposed to actually be a relationship building between the, how far they go. I don't know, but it, it really does feel like they're really kind of gravitating towards that. And they're really giving it a, a respect to it that a, a nice feel to it that I, I think is kind of lost in most quote unquote Yuri bait. So I love it. I love everything about it. It's fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. Please go watch it. It's, it's amazing. So Seems there's number two. There's number two of shows that <laughs> I want Chris to put everything else aside for. You're going to have to stop playing Genshin. I'll, I'll help you out in killing stupid wolf things or something. 
This one I hope you're watching. I think I've seen you watching this one. Absolutely. Endo and Kobayashi Live, the I latest. I keep freaking out about Lisa, so yeah, probably <laughs> am. I think I've seen the played uh, marker that throws me off every now and then. I'm like, wait, I think I watched that episode. Um, Endo and Kobayashi Live, the latest on Sundere Villainous Lisa Latte. This one's streaming on High Dive, running for 12 episodes. This one is Tezuka Productions, based on a light novel, and the genres are comedy, fantasy, and romance. And this one follows Endo and Kobayashi. Big shock, huh? Uh, they are in our modern time Japan. At some point, you find out that Endo uh, couldn't do this club that he wanted to do. He ends up getting pulled into this broadcasting club and spending time with Kobayashi, who he actually likes. And he's kind of been looking for an opportunity to kind of confess to Kobayashi. But she's, like, just so into Atome games. Like, especially this one Atome game that features her favorite character, Lissalate. And at one point, she kind of ends up starting to play the game and kind of nudges Endo into basically commentaring, commentaring over it. And so, just like sports games commentary kind of thing. something He says, he claims that he wants to do that. So she's like, well, do that for this game. So she starts playing it, and he's commentaring over it, and she's playing as the 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 specialist like the person that would be with the commentator that actually knows what the, what's going on on the screen and so the two of them are commentating over the game as they go into it and it kind of opens up with this whole scenario where the villainous character Lisa Latte is coming up to this park bench where Sigval the prince her betrothed and Fine the main character of the game is sitting at this this bench you know studying and Lisa Latte comes in and gets all upset that they that she's chosen to hang around her husband, her her fiance, and criticizes criticizes her for choosing him of anybody to study with. And as they're the scenes playing out, Endo and Kobayashi in our world outside of the game is talking about how Lisa Latte is so tsundere. <laughs> <laughs> and that Siegwald needs to see that she actually really likes him and that she doesn't know how to express herself. And sure enough, for some reason, Siegwald is able to hear them commentary. And he's like, wait, these are the voices of the gods. <laughs> and um, they, they realize this. They're going, wow, this is weird. Indo's like, wait, this has like, you know, voice recognition. She's like, no, this, this doesn't have voice recognition. Something weird's happening. What'd you press? Um, so they start to test it and they go, We'll see if it works. Sigwald, kiss Lissalate. And sure enough, he goes over there and kisses her on the cheek and she freaks out. <laughs> and this totally makes Kobayashi so happy because, again, Lissalate is her favorite character. And unfortunately, since Lissalate is the villainess, she never has a really good route. There's only one route where she doesn't die. And that's where there's like this big harem route where everybody falls in love with the main girl. Um, so what kind of comes from this is that Kobayashi decides, OK, let's make it our goal since we can manipulate things this way, I want to see if we can get it to where Lisa Latte gets with Siegwalt, and she doesn't die in the end. She doesn't get possessed by the witch that ends up getting her killed. And that kind of becomes their goal. They always kind of play together. Eventually, they find out that they can't they can't play without the other person there, and there's, like, no loading or anything like that. You have to stick with the one route, so they only have one shot at this. Um, they end up, at some point, deciding to try to help uh, Baldur as well, which he is a character that... And pretty much all but one of the routes, Baldur dies protecting the main girl from Lissalot when she gets taken over. And um, yeah, all the little, other little goofy things they end up kind of manipulating the game with, like changing uh, the main character perspective and all this other stuff. So your thoughts? I absolutely love Lissalot. I mean, 
it no, this, I'm talking about the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, there's a show, huh? Um, no, I, it, it's it's funny because I, one of the things that I do really truly love is that they are actually playing with the synthetic tropes. I mean, a lot. They are absolutely like Andrew was talking about with the park or with the with the school uh, lunch bench thing, and they're they're uh, doing their they're studying. Uh, they actually are breaking down the what it is about uh lisa Lett that makes her into a sundere yeah she's and, like she's like um um why are you studying here that you have this terrible book and then the entire time out the outside they're going oh ho, ho, lisa Lett doesn't know how to express that she's actually happy about that and then sigwat goes Oh, she's actually happy about that? Okay, well, let me do this. And then suddenly Lisa Lott's like, oh, crap, he's actually okay with me doing this. <laughs> like the whole thing with the the pedal on her hair in the cafeteria. And he takes the pedal off. He goes, they go, hey, Siegwald, there's a pedal in her hair. Take it out. And so he takes it out. And she goes, how dare you touch me in public? I know that we're, you know, betrothed, but don't be presumptuous to do that. And then he goes, they go, oh, she doesn't know how to express how happy she is that you touched her. And then he goes, well, I'll try it. And he goes over and says, well, then you're okay with me touching you in private, and she gets all flustered. It's great. <laughs> it, it it it's stuff like that. I mean, uh, I, I I think immediately to the wand thing where they were they were breaking down that um, take uh, take into consideration that 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 she was actually um, she had embroidered it with uh, with uh, his his eye color and and his hair color and all that stuff and made it and herself. Made it herself. She did it herself, and and she was. Uh, getting mad at uh at fine which she wasn't actually getting mad at fine she was just saying things in such a way to um to say that she wanted this but in actuality it sounded like she was saying this and i just love how they they're actually taking the time to break down a lot of these um sundere tropes that yeah if you've been been around the block for a little while and you start to understand how sundere's work um, you can pick up on a lot of this stuff, but in a lot of cases, Sundere's just come off as just high and haughty type characters, but they're actually really fantastic characters, and we've 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 praised them all all over the place. But I like how they kind of make it a story beat because they talk about the fan the fan side novel that was all about Lace Latte's like life, like the idea that she. From her perspective, she always hated that Fine was able to express herself, and Lisa Latte has a huge issue with conveying her own words. Like, this is a difficulty. She can't figure it out. She can't figure out why she can't say things properly, and this has kind of put her into a dark state, and that's why the witch eventually takes her over. And so I like how it's actually technically a story beat. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just that she literally just doesn't know how to communicate. So Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I But... All said and done, I absolutely love this show. I think it's fantastic. I love that they're playing on the the synthetic tropes, and I I'm yeah absolutely thrilled about it, and I highly suggest it. Yeah, I like how early on it kind of was trying to keep it fresh, and the idea that they keep kind of messing with the mechanics of the game, like switching perspectives and and giving <laughs> quote unquote pouring down blessings from the gods to appoint Lisa Latte and Balder to be these like main priority character figures in the story and how the characters in the game just think it's all like these anointments from the gods and so they're in the cafeteria and everybody starts glowing and everybody's going oh, Lisa Latte's been chosen by the gods and everybody's all clapping and then like oh Balder's been chosen by the gods and everybody's all clapping how like essentially them changing everything seems to have made it to where Fina has become like max level and she's like super OP now um, so they're kind of throwing these little gimmicks to kind of twist the game in certain ways but at the same time they're still keeping forward to the idea that 
in the end, it still seems like Lisa Latte is still doomed to have something affect her. Because even though they're doing all these things to help out the situation, there's still that dread there. I, I haven't got to the point quite yet where they're talking about what this other person's doing in the real world. There seem to be – seemingly they're going to be tying some other person into the story. Um, I'm not too sure how I feel about that, so I'll – I'll yeah, have to wait that, to see that, how that's going to trigger. That was that was a, a an interesting little tidbit at the end of the episode. I'm I'm hoping that that doesn't turn into something silly. I I, I just it was doing just fine the way it was. Right. Had, <laughs> that's why I'm unsure about. Is like I, I'm liking this. I don't know if I want another thing. It seems to imply that there's a possibility that he will be manipulating the same world. But I'm I'm like I'm very hesitant of that. I'm like. I don't know if you need to do this. <laughs> I know that they love to have some sort of outside conflict, but I don't know if you need to do this. Um, but yeah, so far I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's just really cute. I, yeah, I'm with, I'm with Chris. It's like, this show is Lisa Latte. Like, she makes this show. And I love Kobayashi and her reactions <laughs> to everything that Lisa Latte does. And because she's so happy that Lisa Latte, she's played this game so many times. And she's always seen Lisa Latte die. So it's like she finally gets this moment where Lisa Latte could possibly live. And so she's super excited about it. And that's, that's always cute when she squeals about it and endo gets caught up in the whole thing as well um it looks it looks good the only thing that i really hate is for some reason whenever they have this above shot of them playing the game like they, their hands can't hold the controller properly and, I, <laughs> and it bugs me every time they show their hands from above it's like what is that claw they're doing i guess they're doing the the um the psp claw for monster hunter um i heard about that but yeah, it's it's really good. It's it's a really sweet show. Um, I I will admit, like overall, I don't know quite yet that it's going to do anything incredible. But I think if you like the concept of Sundere's, um, it's an interesting take on the Atome game aspect. But I'm I'm still up in the air if overall this is going to do something really cool. I think so far it's just been pr- just a fun show. If you like Atome game villainous slash Sundere type stuff, so we'll see where it goes from here. But so far it's it's been an, a very enjoyable show. So, so, so. Saving 80,000 gold in another world from my retirement is the next one. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll run for 12 episodes done by Studio Felix Films. Uh, the source is light novel. The genres are fantasy. Fantasy. Um, and this is by the creator Funa, who did previously Didn't I Say to Make My Abilities Average in the Next Life, which is kind of surprising because I was very dreadful of this show because of that, because I wasn't a huge fan of that show. Uh, this one opens up with Mitsuha, and as the story opens up, she's being pushed off of a cliff into like this ocean side like to her death and as she's falling and screaming talk about how she doesn't want to die she grabs at something and hears a weird sound and then she transports into this other world this fantasy world and in this world well, it's not really established yet this like fantasy but it's kind of like a medieval type setting uh, but in this other world she kind of walks around for a little bit then ends up running to this little girl colette who ends up taking her to her house and taking care of her because she passes out and She's like, okay, she realized at this point she's somewhere else. She doesn't know if she's dead or whatnot, but eventually she goes out with Colette to go gather some stuff, and she gets attacked by wolves. And as after she gets Colette up, up on a tree and runs away from the wolves, she falls over, kind of cries that she wants to go back home, and then she teleports back home. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently she can transport worlds. So she immediately jumps to action, grabs a bunch of stuff from her brother's room, like the slingshot, grabs a knife, and then she thinks about how she wants to go back to where those wolves were and Colette was at. And sure enough, she transports to this world again and kills the wolves. And then right after kind of passing out, she ends up having this conversation with this weird being, this cat being. And this being explains that he is some sort of entity from the past that gathered so much energy that it became this other being that's able to traverse worlds. And apparently when she was falling (laughs) and calling out, 
he heard her, and then she somehow managed to grab part of his mind, and it became a part of her. So a part of it has kind of implanted itself in Mitsuha, this ability to transport worlds. And he's like, I can't take it back out of you, otherwise it'll kill you. So he's like, that's not good. He's like, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Is there anything else you want before I leave? And she's like, well, I kind of would like the ability to, to understand other people. Because in this other world, she wasn't able to understand them. And he's like, yeah, sure, here, take this. <laughs> and then he just pieces out. So what you kind of have is you have Mitsuha now able to transport from our world to this other world just by thinking about a location. Uh, she can't transport within the world, but she's able to jump between the worlds to exact locations. Additionally, she's able to understand all languages. And she thinks at this point, well, I got paid for killing these wolves and they're paying me in gold. This other world, my, my original world, gold's kind of worth a bit. <laughs> so she decides to essentially exploit her ability to transport between two worlds to make a li you know, make money and then essentially transport that m or tra convert that money into yen or whatever and basically have retirement. And she figures after calculating a little bit, she needs 80,000 gold from this other world to essentially have enough money in our world to retire. And so thus begins her adventure of going back between the two worlds, exploiting wherever she can. She realizes that she needs protection and a way to convert the money. So she ends up looking up online to find a kind of a militia group within our world and our mercenary group. Tri again, tra teleports back and forth using Google Maps to figure out how to get to where she needs to get to. Talks to these guys about, you know, guns, buying guns, training in the weapons, and how they will convert the gold to funds for her. She acts like some rich girl that's from a foreign country to get them to agree. As long as she's paying, they don't care. And then, like I said, she's trying to earn favor and open up a shop in the other world to make that gold. So that's the setup so far. I hope you watch this one. I absolutely Think you did. Okay, good. <laughs> What's your thoughts? I absolutely love the this show. It, it, they've they've done so many fantastic things so far. I I got a kick out of uh, Mitsuha. She's she's an absolute joy to watch. She she's just got this kind of um, snarky nature about her that she just it, she's just so constantly cunning and 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 trying to figure out a way to exploit the situation into making her s some money in some way shape or form. yeah she'll even sell her underwear <laughs> yeah she even said yeah, that was absolutely i'm sorry i don't got no more i do have some underwear i'll buy it <laughs> everybody looks at him like what and the other kid goes i'll buy it too i was like oh my gosh that was such an awkward scene it was great it, and it was so off left field and, and i absolutely loved it I, the, there's uh the she she's on a moped going through through the countryside and uh sees some other people and she wants to hide her moped so she goes back to the house and she ends up with the moped on top of her bed just left field type thing i i love it um i i i absolutely loved the actual um i actually thought it was kind of touching that they um were uh uh, Mitsuha was got this kind of moment where she was uh, in there with the family and she's talking to them um, and she kind of gets this reversion uh, back to her her family life where she had just recently lost her family and and her getting this moment of um, not necessarily replacing but she was kind of in this vulnerable moment that these these this family ended up kind of uh she was basically trying to trick the noble family into, yeah. into gaining their trust and at some point in getting comfortable with them she has like a a brief moment where she knocks over a cup and it reminds her of this this moment in the past where she knocked over a cup while she was talking to her family so she immediately calls out to her mother and it's like 
that moment of realizing she's gotten so comfortable with these people and she's sort of relapsed to realizing she almost feels like they're her parents and they kind of embrace her in that regard. So it's like that I'm tricking these people, but at the same time, I end up getting tricked by myself and then that attachment happens. It was really sweet. Yeah. And so there's there's all these moments He's like, what? wait, this is emotional. Why is it showing this subtly? <laughs> they, they nailed it. I think they nailed that little yeah. scene. Yeah. And they they it is. It was a real nice um, kind of. Um, cut back to to kind of humanizing a lot of these characters that you're you're almost you you get too stuck on the the comedy in a lot of these situations where you're just just waiting for the next um the next funny moment. I mean during that particular moment, I I mean uh, I came in and uh, Andrew was I I think on episode two and I'm like Andrew ab- episode three was absolutely fantastic and and that was that was the the that that particular moment they were. They, she uh the the mom was going nuts over her um her necklace and and at some point then they they kind of revert it back to this this really heart touch moment that that just really absolutely sold these characters for me and so yeah i i absolutely love this show it's it's doing fantastic in my opinion did you like the, the eris's 15th birthday episode <laughs> i couldn't help but think of eris's 15th birthday when they had this whole like Oh, there's this this girl, and she's part of this noble family. And when she, they reach her fifteenth birthday, everybody comes in, and it's a sign of wealth, and it has to be successful. Otherwise, everybody will see that she's a failure. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this oh, this okay, feels like you. Edis. <laughs> what are they doing? It feels like Mashuka Tensei right here. I got you. Oh, she went overboard with it too. That was a little bit crazy. Um, but I think that was kind of the thing that gives the feel of what I would assume the show is going to be kind of turning into is this idea of her having this shop, and she's going to do consulting for all these families and helping with these dinners and stuff because. She could basically come in with packaged fish <laughs> that is completely unheard of in this area because it's so far away from the beach that the idea of having like non-dried fish doesn't make any sense unless somebody literally like has a pack of horses all the way from the coastline yeah, they, there they, and they speed run it over to make it sure it's fresh. Yeah, they were breaking down all of that. The the the, the reason why we can't do it because of that. The, the even in the the best of situations, they if they kept it cooking the entire time, it would still take three days, and it's still not going to be fresh. Yeah, and I, I think that was a to go. I was going to get into my criticism of that. I think that was like one of the first parts where I'm like, I think you're spending a little too much time explaining this. I understand what you're doing here, but just say. This can't get here. <laughs> like, we don't need a what felt like five minute long explanation of why fish is so odd to have on the plate in front of her explaining all that whole situation. But it, it, I think overall, it's never really done that too much. So I think for the most part, it works out. The only other time that I felt like it was over explaining things was this this point which she's basically setting up her plan. Like the the moment that she realized she can transport between the two worlds, she has to set up a plan. Get at this mercenary group, um, get weaponry, per, uh, figure out how much money she needs to get. At some point, she starts to like deep dive into medieval lore and noble family structures and all this other stuff. And it's like, but you're looking up that stuff on Google. How do you know that's going to apply in this world? And why are you spending so much time doing that? We know how these structures typically work. Make the assumption the writer isn't that, or the reader isn't, the viewer or reader isn't that dumb <laughs> and just move on. Um, th- those are like the two kind of missed points. But overall, like that's two points within like, I don't know, five or six episodes I've watched that I think is just doing really well with the chemistry, the characters. And yeah, I think for the most part, it's all about Mitsuha. Like she is a really fun main character and I love her, how she kind of gets 
goofy about situations. She overthinks things. She gets panicky whenever she needs to get panicky. Um, for the most part, I really like her character. Like this whole moment where she has this shop and she's just desperately not wanting these ladies to leave before they try something and buy <laughs> something. And everybody's trying to figure out why there is a fish scale peeler on the counter. And she explains what it is. And they go, well, why would you need that? <laughs> Again, going me, to the, the previous point about how fish, you don't get uh, raw fish here. It's like, why would you have this scale uh, trimmer if nobody has fish? Um, it, it's just funny. It took like three people explaining that before she realized, oh, yeah, I guess it's kind of dumb having that on the counter. Let me let me ask you, what about the brother? I, I, I don't mind him, but at the same time, I think he was in one of the worst scenes, uh, the, the third bad miss point in the show. They have this moment where she's first trying out the guns, which I think, by the way, they did a great job having the guns explained. And for a Japanese show <laughs> or a Japanese light novel to explain that stuff properly is a big win. Um, they talked about trigger uh, practice and all that kind of stuff, pointing away from people, don't point unless you're going to shoot something. They did everything safety-wise perfectly. I mean, talking about the slide, don't block the slide. All that kind of stuff was real good stuff. And then they get to the point where she's starting to try them, and for some reason there's no recoil. So that was that was a miss on the animator's part. <laughs> I think the light novel did a good job. The animators didn't quite know how a slide works and, and recoil. The only miss that really happened here was that at some point she realizes, oh, I'm going to carry these things, which means I'm going to have to harm somebody with it. Would I be willing to do that? And so they have this whole – for the entire series, what they have is every now and then she thinks about her brother who was like this massive otaku. And we're not talking anime otaku. He's like a light novel, anime, isekai, trains, guns, military, He's like everything, everything otaku. Uh, gardening. He was a gardening otaku. Like he loved – he loved deep diving into anything. And so every time she thinks about something, she kind of in her mind talks to her brother. And at some point, yes, when she's firing these guns, she goes, will I be willing to take somebody's life? And he pops up as like this kind of um, person to counter arguments. Well, you wouldn't be able to do that. That would be taking a life. You'd be evil. And she's like, but if somebody were to come at me to take my life, that would make them inhumane. And thus I'd be willing to, to basically defend myself because they would no longer be human. And that's kind of their argument that comes from that. And it just kind of felt really dorky because he's there with a samurai outfit. And she's got a samurai outfit and they're kind of fighting it out. And it makes it it makes what a serious conversation is very goofy. And I thought that was kind of a miss. But for the most part, I do. I do like his injections into it. He, he sort of makes a a, I, for a a perfect person to kind of counter her arguments. And they they kind of figure things out. I, I'm I've always been kind of mixed on him. He doesn't he does he, I don't think he, he is sort of jarring though. He is jarring. That's what I was gonna <laughs> he's say. Very he's kind of he doesn't he doesn't feel right. And I understand what he's there for. I understand his um his trying to keep him keep keep a comedic nature to the um basically like you were saying it's her inner dialogue in a lot of cases. He is the counter to her um her very almost like i said earlier her conniving constantly planning forward thinking nature she she needs him as kind of this counterweight to her um rationality and so i understand why he's there but at the same time I, he he is very jarring there's also an argument to be made that he doesn't especially like as it's it feels like as of late he doesn't really show up much and then yeah, when he does not, show up, it's like, why is he? Okay, oh, that's right. That's the brother. I forgot. What, what is he doing here? 
Yeah, he isn't as he isn't he, he isn't so much that he's completely ruining the show. He's just there, and it's kind of annoying here and there. But at the same time, I understand why he's there. I, I, we had a little interesting conversation on the Discord about you know if if she would have just asked the cat for eighty thousand gold, <laughs> she would have been a really quick series. <laughs> but I kind of I make the argument that at the time she wasn't thinking about retirement. It wasn't it wasn't until she seen the goal that she thought about oh I can do that. Um, at the time, it was just kind of a this is kind of the only thing I think of that I kind of am missing right now is I can't talk to these people. So, hey, let me be able to talk to them. Um, again, she didn't really think about the retirement thing until later on and really kind of figures it out. So it, it's it's really solid. I This is honestly one of those shows when I seen it in the previews and stuff. I was like, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I didn't really the, the PV didn't really sell me on it. And I think when I started watching it, I'm like, I actually really like this. I like Mitsuha and I think it's got a really good potential here in this idea of somebody really exploiting the two worlds and getting favor from it. And her being smart about it. Like, I don't have OP abilities. I can teleport, which, yes, is technically OP. If she gets in a dangerous situation, she can just teleport out. But she needs some ability to protect herself. And her willingness to go out there and basically arm herself up makes sense. Her, go- I, I think the whole the aspect of her going to this mercenary group makes perfect sense to everything. Having somebody that's outside of your typical laws can ha- handle everything of the conversion, stuff like that, and handle the money for her makes sense um so they've been playing it out really well so i I, hopefully it has a really solid story arc overall so yep that's uh saving eighty thousand gold for my retirement chilling in my 30s after getting fired from the demon king's army this one's streaming on crunchyroll running for 12 episodes the studio is encouragement films Sources of Light Novel and the fantasy, uh, the genres are fantasy and slice of life. And this one opens up with Daryl, who is being kicked out of the Demon King's army. They basically say, we're kind of changing things up. Uh, this guy, Bashu Baza, is taking over. And he's like, Daryl, you've never been able to use magic. We don't need nobody in our army that doesn't know how to use magic. So get out of here. And so Daryl's like, well, that sucks. And he leaves. <laughs> and so he's this guy just leaving the Demon King's army. Doesn't really know where he's going to go. Basically walking out into the world of the humans. Some point ends up running into this girl, Marika, who's being chased by this big baboon. Daryl picks up a knife that she has and stabs it and kills it. And Marika, thanking him for saving her life, drags him all the way back to her place, feeds him, talks to him and everything, and kind of tries to encourage him to stay there because he has nowhere to go. Uh, he ends up joint- being forced to become an adventurer. <laughs> By Marika forcing his hand onto a, this document, which he he heard stories before where demons would go like incognito into human areas and they would basically be, for, be asked to do this and that ritual would basically kill them. And so he's terrified to do it, but then they slam his hand onto it and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm a human. He's always been a human. <laughs> Big shock to nobody. He's always been a human. That's why he never knew how to use magic. Um, and, you know, yeah, by the way, uh, each adventurer can essentially be, like, proficient in different ways. There's, like, essentially impact, which is, like, a big hammer. There's defensive. There's, like, uh, piercing or aiming, which is, like, archery and stuff. And then there's slicing. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's maxing everything. No, so he's super – he's super – I did th- – defenses. I, oh, I think I said defenses. Sorry. I missed um, it. But, yeah, he's maxing everything because, you know, OP main character. And then, yeah, he does quests and – Marika keeps showing his, her boobs at him, and he keeps doing things because I think he just obsessed with her chest. And there's this guy, Gashita, who's another adventurer, and he hates his guts until he saves his life. And, and she's getting more and more uh, yandere as the show goes on. 
It's, it seemed like it was getting there. But uh, <laughs> at some point, he realized the town's, like, super empty. And so they tell the story about this nearby mine that got taken over the Dean King. So he goes over there and realizes that they're not managing the, the mines anymore. So he ends up just taking the mine back. <laughs> and, yes, the the Demon King, they're all starting to realize that, oh, yeah, Daryl's, like, crucial. And we shouldn't have fired him because that's typically nope. how that works. Not the Demon King. The Bashiba, the Team King's army. Sorry, I meant I didn't say the army part. The Demon King's army needs him back because he's was really crucial. So, yeah, your 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 thoughts on chilling in my thirties and watching Jugs. This one is one of those that I I I want it to be a lot more than it actually is. It it's one of those. <laughs> When you're watching it, you're 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 hoping you, you're not getting the comedy aspect. You're not getting an interesting world, and or you, and you're not getting kind of these just something to kind of hang your hat on and say this is the reason I'm watching it. I'm I'm watching the show, and I really do want something out of it. It 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 feels like it's just right there at the point of man, this is a good show. But in all actuality, I, I can't really find nothing on it. And it, I, I I am enjoying it. Uh, Daryl is an enjoyable character. Um, um, the 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 waifu of this show is 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 an enjoyable Which character. Which one, Marika, Doyle, or Zebiantes? There's only one that's been <laughs> on the screen like fifty oh, percent of the show. I she's is she on the screen or is her chest on the screen? <laughs> You have to say it. That chest is always on the screen. I'm not gonna argue with your 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 obsession the with entire, her chest. She, the entire it, budget Andrew goes into it. Obviously, this is one reason why Andrew's watching the show. The entire budget goes into those two things. Let's be honest. Like half the budget's in the one of them, they have the other budget's in the other one. <laughs> oh but yeah, I, I I'm generally just enjoying it as a just a show that's it that's something that is uh, a a a time waster. It is it is a generally enjoyable show. I like I said, there's nothing here that is actually kind of blowing everything out of the water, but it is an enjoyable general show. That's pretty much where I would put it. This is doing nothing that blows anything out of the water. <laughs> this is pretty much. I, I think this is like a case study of a show that is trying to do what everybody else does, but nothing and unique in itself. This is literally, yes, call it Demon King's Army. This is literally, I got kicked from the Heroes Party, which is, we feel, it feels like we get one every single season. I mean, last season we had Beast Tamer. Um, so it's doing the kicked out of the Heroes Party. It's doing the whole thing where the King, uh, the Heroes Party eventually realized that this dude was really kind of necessary. We need him back. It's doing the whole, I join, I join the adventure part of uh, the adventure guild and I go out and do quests. It's. Nothing here is unique. It's doing the overpowered main character. Nothing, literally anything of this show is unique. Besides the fact that you can make an argument that it's kind of funny that it seems like all signs point to Daryl doing everything he does because of Marika's boobs. Like, he literally is staring at them when he decides to stay at the, the, the town. Um, so it's not doing anything unique. And it's kind of boring. The animation's terrible. Like, I awful animation like the fights in this this show is just awful I, I like i joke before but i literally mean it the only thing that really kind of moves regularly is marika's chest like that's where i'm no joke it's literally that's where all the budget goes to because the rest of the show is just not moving barely moving 
Um, so it looks bad. We'll, we'll, it's just, doing nothing unique. Just be unique. patient when we get the other two girls in here. We'll get more we'll, we'll physics. Get more. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get more physics, so the budget has to go we're up. Gonna, we're so going to have encouragement, <laughs> encouragement films is like, uh, Doyle needs to start having some scenes, so we're going to need some budget up because we're going to have both of them in the scene at the same time, so that's more frames. Um, but yeah, overall, the show is doing nothing unique. Um, it's trying to copy way too much, and it doesn't have its own identity in the end. I think the only thing it did that was kind of cool was that he merged two of his unique classes together to create a bullet, basically. But again, it's not heavily unique, but at the same time, it doesn't do enough to kind of save it. For For the most part, I, I think if you're just looking for a slow life, hanging out with uh, waifu Marika, I think you'll enjoy it. But I, I don't feel like it's doing enough. The comedy's not really there. It's just overall, it's it. And again, goes back to my comment I made earlier in a season with a lot of really good shows. You're not doing anything to stand out, and that's the big problem in the end. So, yeah, I the, not really much a suggestion for me in the end. But um, yeah, chilling in my 30s after I got fired from the Demon King's hero party. <laughs> uh, reborn to Master the Blade from Hero King to Extraordinary Squire. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes, done by Studio Comet. The source of the light novel, the genres are action, adventure, fantasy, comedy. And this one opens up with Ingus, 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 Ingus. Um, he's a king, and he was pretty much uh, like this, I forget what that's called. Pretty much he was anointed by this goddess to be this big hero. And he basically re- reunited the kingdom itself, became king, and protected the people all his entire life until he's on his deathbed. At which point, the goddess comes to him again and says, thank you so much for all you've done. You did a great job. I want to thank you for basically being my anointed knight. Would you want anything? And so he says, well, if I can ask for something, since I spent my whole life being king, I would like to go back and try to master the sword. You know, like the title would lead you to believe. And she's like, I'll do that. Okay, I'll let you be reborn. And so, boom, he wakes up and he's now an infant in this, what seems like the same world, question mark, might be a different world. We don't know yet. Uh, But he's an an infant baby's girl's body. So, yes, he's reborn as a girl. Um, but he doesn't like let that keep him down. Over time, as he's growing up, he ends up finding out that this world is, again, doesn't seem like there's signs that this is the same world because he's checked history books. He doesn't see any signs of his past kingdom. Um, they seem to have a different perspective on magic. Like, this world, essentially, there is this floating island that flies around. It has the people of the Highlanders. The Highlanders are on it. The Highlanders come down and will bestow upon the people um, several things. One being artifacts, which are weapons that people can wield, as well as this box, which is part of this baptismal ceremonies that everybody at some point will stick their hand inside this box. And based on their – it doesn't seem like it's explained yet how it decides, but you can get different runes on your hand being like normal runes, special runes, greater runes. And based on that, your aptitude towards using artifacts. And he realized very quickly that this world, nobody uses magic. But it seems like they're utilizing this system to apply their mana to this artifact to wield weapons instead. So he's obviously like, well, that kind of gives me a leg up because I know how to use auras. And that's my ability to use magic. So he doesn't get one of these. And that shocks everybody. But again, he knows exactly why it's happening. So he just kind of goes, eh, I'll be my cousin's squire and I'll hang out with her instead. Because he doesn't want attention. But he wants he's kind of made it his goal. Yes, he wants to master the blade. But his goal in this new life is to strictly 
find powerful foes and kill them. That seems to be all he cares about. But eventually he gets ends up getting kind of wound up in this whole situation with the Highlanders and the so artifacts a, and all that kind of stuff. So he's a chick version of Goku. Goku. Yes, exactly. With good thighs. Good uh, Goku with thighs. <laughs> Goku has thighs too, but not the thighs I want. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the gist. Oh yeah, by the way, when he was infant, he laser beamed a dragon. That was interesting. It was a really good animated dragon too. Hands, head, uh, hats off to Studio Comet. They, so they did you feel like there. like they totally undermined you? You were excited about the dragon, and then they shot it with a with a laser. No, I was like, man, that's a really cool animated dragon. And then, oh, that's a baby shooting laser beam. Dragon's gone. Okay. So you lost your animated dra- I knew the dragon was going to die. Oh, It's not like I had okay. expectation that it was going to stick around. Like, unless it becomes her pet or something like that. Or his pet. Sorry. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess you didn't watch this based on that no. joke. This is one of those shows where I think I, en- I enjoy the world. I think it's very fascinating, the idea that, again, the question mark, if he's in the same world, the idea of the magic itself changing, and the systems that they kind of put in play with the Highlanders and the runes and the artifacts. And even those that, they even have these one uh, specific soldiers that can essentially become artifacts to be wielded, which I think is cool as well. The problem that this show has overall is, one, you do have to acknowledge the idea that it is... Yet another reborn story where it has the same concept in play. What happens in every reborn story? The world seems to be different and magic is gone. Every single one of them. It's always that. It's either magic is dumbed down or magic is changed. That's how they're overpowered in the next life. But I think it's got an interesting setup setup so far. And you technically have like four factions already established within the first four episodes or so. This idea you have the Highlanders, you have the the Groundlanders, I guess you want to call them, the people of the land. And then you have like this faction that wants to destroy the Highlanders or rise up against them because essentially they have to do everything the Highlanders say. Like if they fight back against the Highlanders or or reprimand them in any way, like they have one of the Highlanders comes to this one uh, cook or not cook, this ball. And this guy, this Highlander wants to bed this squire. And this other guy stands up to him and he just nukes him, just kills him in the middle of the ball. And nobody says anything because if they fight back against the Highlanders, there's a chance the Highlanders will no longer bestow upon them the boxes that give them the runes or artifacts to fight against the uh, creatures of this world. So they just have to accept that this guy just killed this guy in the middle of this ball. And so there is an there's an element there that there's going to be a faction that eventually probably wants to rise up against the Highlanders and take them out because obviously they're if they're evil, they can't do anything about them. So there's a difficulty in them having control of the power. So they're kind of establishing all these parties and which gets me to my issue with the show overall is you have an interesting world set up. You have decent animation. You have decent character chemistry, but you have one big problem. The main character doesn't want to drive the story at all. (laughs) All he cares about is killing things. And that's all he thinks about is killing things. I want to fight something. I want to fight something. And so to have that character drive the story, it kind of doesn't do anything for it overall. So that, I guess that's my biggest holdup on it right now is I think it's it's got a good setup. It's just it doesn't really have a good main character to really drive the story. And it's kind of funny that they had him actually be gender changed because it doesn't seem to be doing anything with it. I assume that I think when we, we read the synopsis and stuff, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those things where 
he gets reborn as a girl, and then and then everybody's going, well, you're a girl, you can't be a squire, or or some. There's gonna be something like, you know, matriarchal patriarchal about it, where him being a female is gonna restrict his ability to become a war. No, they're perfectly accepting of females being in squires and fighters and warriors. Most of the, any any of the artifact wielders that we've seen so far are mostly all female, so it seems like they're perfectly fine. The only thing they've really made a comment about it was that when he was first born as a girl, he's like, what? And then later on, when he goes to this ball, he wears like the most froofy uh, tutu looking outfit that's like super high up on her thighs, showing her legs. And then she goes in this ball and goes, oh, all these guys are uh, veering at me. I remember when I used to do that in my previous life. Now I kind of feel bad to all those ladies. And it's like, you've been in this world for like 14 years. Why are you still thinking about what you were doing in a ball when you were a king? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense why they even have it be a thing besides the fact that they wanted to have you have this hot girl with thighs kicking and smacking things. But it, it, why not be a queen in the previous life? It's like, no, there's, it, this isn't adding no value to the story for him being a gender swap. <laughs> Do something with it. But um, yeah, it's like I said, so far it's fine. I just. I just don't think the main character drives it very well. And that's the unfortunate thing. I will probably keep watching it, um, but I don't really want to set my expectation that it's going to do anything really fascinating in the end. So if you want to watch babies, laser beam dragons, check that one out. Interesting stuff. But um, yeah, that's all we have for today. Uh, we're going to wrap up again. We had a little bit of time restraint, but we'll probably get another recording in uh, within the week. And so we can do more of these first impressions. We'll probably just base it out. It's, it's perfectly fine. We'll work yep. things out. Um, again, Chris is working two schedule shifts, so it's difficult for him to get the stuff going. But just having you here to talk and bounce thing off would make it so much more easier for me to record this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> as much as I fumble over myself when I do my own video recordings, it's like, man, it just flows when I'm sitting here in front of Chris and it sucks. That That's the thing. Maybe I'll just have like a cutout of you behind the camera when I do my videos. No, it won't work. It won't work. <laughs> it won't work. I'll just put a little speaker on it just to have you say random things every now and then. Um, <laughs> that might work. <laughs> that might work. <laughs> Chris, shut up. I'm getting to the point. Um, anyways, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, Oni-san. Oni Chris, stop it. I'm trying to talk. <laughs> <laughs> stop talking to the dog. Y'all just have your dog, uh, dog scratch noises from your dog, you too. Go. So she scratches at the door every now and then. So I'll have to have that in there as well. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, as always, we're at TalkySpirit.com. It's where you can go for all of our links to our social media and our Discord. So you can join a great community of people there. Um, again, thank you everybody for their support. Those that share our podcast, check out our videos on YouTube.com slash Spirit. And uh, yeah, for those that support us through monetary value, through Patreon, our tips, links, and memberships at the on the YouTube channel itself. Greatly appreciate everybody that supports the channel. And y'all take care. Oos.